0: It is spooky season and, uh, we're really excited to continue in our series called Haunted. Um, uh, my name, my name is Brandon. I'm the, the pastor here and, uh, I'm really excited. Like I said, to, to go into this series. I, I think over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking, continuing to talk. We started last week and continuing to talk about mental, emotional, physical and spiritual health. And how those can those things can can haunt us and, and leave us maybe in a place where spiritually we don't want to be. And so we're gonna be looking at the Bible today and and looking at Jesus' life to see what we can learn about uh something specific when it comes to uh maybe maybe you struggle with this. I know I do. I, I grew up uh I, I saw my dad kind of struggle with this too. Um he he is somebody that everything has to be perfect. Um, He's very meticulous in how he mows the lawn, in how he takes care of, uh, I remember growing up, how he took care of our our vehicles. Um, And specifically, I have one vivid memory of um, how he arranged his church office. Now, the way that my dad would arrange his church office was um, very particular. Every picture was hung perfectly square, perfectly centered on the wall, and perfectly angled. Um, And people that knew my dad know that that the one thing that bothers him more than anything else is something that's just a little crooked. And so I had a cousin, her name was Alicia, and Alicia during church would sneak into my dad's office and go to every picture on his wall and tilt it just a little bit. And she wouldn't stop there. She would then move on to his desk and she would take all of his pens that were lined up and she would spin them around and throw him off kilter and tilt his calendar on his desk and flip pictures over so they were upside down because she knew that this just really bothered my dad. Now, anybody else like this? Because I'm like this too. I have, um, I'm very particular, and you can ask my wife to confirm this. I'm very particular about how things look and where things are in our house. Everything has a place. Everything has a place. Now, I'll even go as far, and this is, led to some not great moments in my life where Allie that's my wife she'll go over to like the counter in our kitchen and she'll like arrange something and then I'll go in right after her and I'll rearrange it because it it wasn't right it wasn't perfect okay that's led to some not great moments I'm I'm the kind of guy that like the remotes they can't just be sitting on our our coffee table like I arrange them smallest to biggest on our coffee table pointed straight at the TV like that is that is my life, and, and it's even led to some, like, really unhealthy tendency. I mean, remotes is pretty bad, but even worse than that, like, I remember growing up, I played sports my whole life, and this was something that I really struggled with in sports, whether it was baseball or basketball, football, soccer, whatever, the sport was, I had to be perfect. Like, if it, even if it was just, we were just playing pickup in the front yard, like, I hated missing shots in basketball. I hated feeling like I had made a mistake. I had this like need, this desire, this thing that pushed me, this perfectionism to just be perfect. Even writing, if I can just be honest with you guys, even writing my teachings for Sunday, I have to fight against this this feeling, this desire, this need that every word that you guys are going to hear, it has to be perfect. It has to be just so. It has to be meticulous. It has to be perfect. And if there's one thing I've learned as I've navigated this in my life, it's that I can't achieve perfection. No matter how hard I've tried, I can't achieve perfection. It's like a sandcastle that's constantly washed by the waves. No matter how close you come, that sandcastle is just never finished. That's what chasing perfection is like. And the unhealthy pursuit of perfection can leave us with a constant need and feeling that we need to do more and more, to be better and better, to achieve and achieve more, until finally what happens is we break or we burn out. And maybe you had this in your job. Maybe you've had this even in your family or Whatever the situation may be where you've achieved, you've you've pursued and pursued perfection and it's led you to a point where it's just burned you out. And whether you listen this morning, we have people all over the spiritual spectrum in this room and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, it's really easy in our lives to fall into the trap of believing that in order to be loved or accepted by others, we have to be perfect. We feel that. We feel that tension. In fact, maybe one of the reasons it's been so hard for you to come into a church has actually been because you felt like you had to be perfect to enter these doors. You know, when people, if if I'm having a conversation with somebody that doesn't go to church and they're like, hey, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. It would shock you how often the response that I get is, oh my gosh, if I showed up at your church on Sunday, if I just walk through the doors, I'd just catch on fire. Like people think that. People believe that, oh my gosh, I, I there's no way. I could never enter a church. God would just instantly, I'd drop dead. Like it would be insane. And where does that come from? Where does a comment like that, where does a feeling like that come from? It comes from a belief that we have to be perfect to enter into God's presence that we have to be clean, that we have to be right, that we have to be perfect and holy, and then God will accept us. Once I do those things, once I check all of the perfect boxes, then God will accept me. Regardless of where you're at spiritually, we've all had this sandcastle scenario in our life where we've pursued perfection and perfection has haunted us, whether it's a, maybe it's a relationship that you had that fell apart, or maybe it's, it's how you, you, you think you need to look physically. Like it's so easy in our our day and age that we live in now with TikTok and Instagram and, and Facebook to look at these other people in our life and think, oh my gosh, if I just looked a little more like them, like they look perfect. We look at these celebrities and we're told this is how you just go to the market basket and look at those magazines on the left, how you can be perfect in the next 20 days, you know, it's stuff like that. And we start to buy into it. We're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. If I just, you know, only eat dirt from this specific part of the earth then I will, you know, have a six pack in eight days. Like we, we think these things, and that's what they try to sell us. This is what's sold in those magazines. And perfectionism, perfectionism is when the pursuit of good becomes unhealthy and when chasing what's right becomes wrong. That's what happens in our minds. And so what, what we want to do today is I want to start with the foundational verse that we're, we're, I, I encourage you take out your Bible, highlight it, underline it, make it the lock screen on your phone, screenshot it, write it on a post-it note, stick it on your bathroom mirror, your car window, whatever you need to do, memorize this verse. This is the foundational verse for everything that we're going to be talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And this is what it says. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about capturing these thoughts of perfection. That if I'm not perfect, I won't be loved. If I'm not perfect, I won't be accepted. If I'm not perfect, people won't love me we capture those thoughts and we teach them to obey christ but to do that what we have to do first is we have to be willing to admit something we have to be willing to admit this is something that i struggle with so here here's what we're going to do to to do to start off today's teaching here's what i want i want you to do this is our first point it's it's we're not perfect and that's okay I want you to just let that sink in. And here's, here's how we're going to do that. I want you to look to the person on your left and look to the person on your right. And I want you to tell them, I'm not perfect and that's okay. Go. Tell them, I'm not perfect and that's okay. I'm not perfect and that's okay. Let those people know, I'm not perfect. Listen, husbands in the room right now, you're looking at your wife saying, I'm not perfect. And that's right. That's spouses, you know, friends, we're doing that with our friends. I'm not perfect. And that's okay. And the Bible actually tells us this in multiple places. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay. So we're not perfect. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Okay, so we're not perfect. Isaiah 64, 6, and this one hurts the ego a little bit. We're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous needs, they're nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we winter, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. We're not perfect. And that's okay. but And it, it's it's through understanding this that it's, it, it's so important because as we understand that we are nowhere near perfect, we start to understand that we need God's grace. That if we were actually perfect, then why would we need God? Why would we need God's grace in our life? What's so unique about uh, Christianity and, and those that follow Jesus is that even when we recognize that we aren't perfect, we still are filled with hope. We're still filled with this hope that it's, you know, I'm not perfect and that's okay. And today we're going to be looking at a story in, in the gospel of Luke where Jesus lives this out and he shows us how this grace works, that even though we're not perfect, there's still grace in our life. So Luke chapter seven, that's where we're going to be. If you want to open up your Bible, so go to the Bible app, Luke chapter seven, we're going to start in verse 37, verse 37. Luke chapter seven. So that's towards the end of your Bible and what's called the New Testament. And here's what's going on. So Jesus's ministry has just begun. So he he has started teaching and there've been miraculous healings and his fame has started to spread all throughout the region. And so because of that, crowds of people, when they hear Jesus is going to be somewhere, they're just showing up in droves. People are trying to find Jesus. People are trying to be near Jesus. Jesus. People are trying to hear Jesus. People are trying to be healed by Jesus. And now we come to chapter seven, verse 36 to 48. And Jesus has been invited to a unique dinner. He's been invited to have dinner with a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were, they were the religious leaders of that day. They were um, very, very, very well-known, very highly esteemed. And um, this, they're actually most well-known probably for their antagonistic Kind of relationship where they had that they had with Jesus, and yet we hear that right now there's a Pharisee that wants to have Jesus for dinner to kind of get to know. What, okay, I've heard about this guy. What what's he all about? What's this guy's deal? And so this Pharisee invites Jesus over for dinner, and at this dinner something crazy happens. Luke chapter seven verses thirty seven and thirty eight. So at this dinner, Jesus is sitting down. Verse 37, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she's talking about Jesus. When she heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. And her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Now, I want you, for a moment, I want you to just imagine that you are the Pharisee hosting Jesus for dinner. Just imagine you've invited Jesus over for dinner. You're a well-respected, highly thought of religious leader in this day and age, and you've invited Jesus into your home to have dinner. Everything has to be perfect. The food has to be perfect. The guests have to be perfect and entertaining. The conversation has to be perfect. The way that you greet Jesus, it has to be perfect. All of it, you're just aiming for perfection. Let me show Jesus how great I am. You want to show Jesus that you have it all together. And then, all of a sudden, Luke tells us that a certain immoral woman from that city, now, what is that? It's a prostitute. In this moment, you're having dinner with Jesus. Everything's perfect. All of a sudden, in. Now, I, I just, I picture this scene. I just picture this, this woman pushing her way through a crowd, causing a commotion, trying to get into the house. And she finally gets in. This prostitute enters this religious leader's home and she falls at Jesus' feet and she just starts weeping and tears. Stream down her face covering Jesus's feet and there's a commotion and all of a sudden she pulls out this expensive jar of perfume and she just dumps it and all the the whole house is then filled with this overwhelming fragrance of this perfume and then she realizes what's happening and how Jesus's feet are wet and she just starts taking her hair and wiping Jesus's feet with her hair. And you're the religious leader and you're looking down and you're saying, it's ruined. This dinner is ruined. And I don't think it's too much of a stress as to what the religious leader would have been thinking or experiencing. In fact, listen to what he says in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if this man was the son of God, if this guy actually was who he said he was, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. He's saying, Jesus, everything was perfect. It was all going great. Why are you allowing this messed up, broken, far from perfect woman to ruin it? If, if you really were perfect, you say that you're perfect. You say that you're the son of God. You say that you're, you know, all of these great things. If you really were, then you would know that she is far from perfection and you would cast her out of your presence. But of course, <laughs> Jesus knew his thoughts. And he responds by saying this in verses 40 to 43. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. So he hadn't said that out loud. He thought it. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, Simon, he said to the Pharisee. So The Pharisee's name is Simon. I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. Now, typically, whenever Jesus starts off by saying, I have something to say to you, especially after he's responding to a thought in your head, it's probably not going to work out for you. You're probably about to learn a pretty tough lesson. And Jesus goes on in verse 44 to 48. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, now listen to this, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. See, in Simon's pursuit of perfection, following the letter of the law, hosting Jesus perfectly, making sure the food was perfect, making sure the guests were interesting, through that pursuit, Simon missed grace. He missed grace, and because he missed grace, he missed out on love. However, and then we have the direct contrast of Simon with this, with this woman who is at Jesus' feet and she is anything but perfect. In her mess and in her brokenness, in her understanding that she was far from perfect, she understood that she was desperate for grace. And she showed a deep, deep love for Jesus. And that's why this morning, no matter where you're at, God isn't looking for you to be perfect. He isn't looking for you to come to him, pretending to have it all together. In fact, I was just talking with a couple ladies after the, second serv- after the first service. And one of them said, Brandon, I... She said, Brandon, I understand prayer now. And I, I was like, what do you mean? This, I didn't even talk about prayer in that teaching. And she goes, I understand prayer for a long time. I felt like I couldn't pray because I didn't have the perfect words to say. She's like, I'm, I'm newer to my faith. I just started coming to church recently, and I, I didn't think I could pray because I didn't think I was perfect enough. I didn't think I had the perfect words. I, I felt like I had to say a certain thing, and she's like, it clicked for me. This past service. She said, God isn't looking for my perfect words. He's looking for me to just be real and honest and have a conversation with him. And maybe this morning, I hope that sets you free too. That maybe you've been struggling with even the idea of prayer. Like, oh, I, have to, I have to think a certain way. I have to pray a certain way. I, have to, I can only say like these old words that nobody uses anymore, like thou and thee and thy. And if I don't use those words, it's not going to be holy enough. It's not going to be perfect enough. And God's going to reject it. I want to let you know that no. That's not true. He's not looking for you to pretend to have it all together. Because when we search for perfection, we can miss out on the grace that he extends. Perfection is not what Jesus is looking for. His grace covers a multitude of dirt and sin and mistakes in our life. And as we begin to recognize that we aren't perfect and we are in need of a savior, we come to realize that God's grace brings freedom and perfectionism brings bondage. God's grace brings freedom and perfectionism brings bondage. The, The pursuit of perfection can leave you feeling rigid and stuck having to live a certain way and, and present a certain way. And there can, no, there can be no slip-ups. Everything has to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, you're left with like this anxiety, this, this fear. Oh my gosh, if somebody finds out that I make mistakes, then I'm not perfect. They're not going to love me anymore. They're not going to accept me anymore. And just as Jesus pushed back against Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7, this was actually what Jesus pushed back against the most when it came to the other religious leaders of his day. Because they acted perfect. They memorized, they would memorize the entire first five books of the Bible. They had it memorized word for word. They could recite it to you. They fasted. They prayed. They did all of it perfectly. Perfectly. So when Jesus comes and he begins challenging them on how they're living, they push back because if Jesus was challenging how they were living, that may mean that they were wrong. And if they were wrong, they weren't perfect. And so, no, 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 I can't change because then I'm admitting that I'm imperfect. And so they fought against him. And in their pursuit of perfection, this perfection that they had, had actually become a limiting factor in how they experienced and loved God and others. Craig Rochelle, who's a, a pastor from Oklahoma, he said, "The pursuit of excellence will constantly motivate you." And I love that because it is important. The Bible does tell us to do everything with excellence. That in our jobs, as parents, with friends, in, in relationships, we should do everything with excellence. But here's the danger: but the pursuit of perfection, he says, will eventually limit you. And this was one of the problems with the religious leaders in Jesus' day because they were so obsessed to show that they were perfect. It limited their ability to be real with God and real with others. And Jesus calls this out, Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He says, What sorrows awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's a tough beat for the Pharisees. Now quickly, the What's crazy about this, the Pharisees, they did good things. Like they did good things. They made copies of the scripture. They studied God's word. They even taught God's word. Like they did good things, but their pursuit of perfection led them to a place where just as as, as Jesus told Simon at dinner, he said, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And the Pharisees had very little in their minds to be forgiven of because they did everything right. They struggled to love and accept grace. And when all of a sudden they're confronted with the perfect image of perfection in the person of Jesus, it was all exposed. And I wonder, this morning as we're talking about God's word, as we're looking at Jesus' life, I wonder, what might God be exposing in your own hearts? In the (laughs) same In the same way that God exposed this unhealthy need for perfection in my own heart, what may God be exposing in your heart? Do you struggle to show the real you? Because if people saw how imperfect you actually are, you wonder, would they love me? You wonder that. Do you feel as though you have to clean up, put on a nice suit, put on a nice dress, Shower, put on perfume. Before you can come to church, you're not going to be accepted. Now, I'm not saying that showering and putting on perfume is bad. In fact, please, by all means. But do you think you have to look a certain way? to Be loved and accepted by God. And that's what perfectionism does to our heart. It haunts us. It makes us feel, I have to present. We, we present really well, but on the inside, we look like a mess full of doubt and anxiety and fear that maybe I'm going to slip up. Somebody's going to see I'm not perfect. Meanwhile, we're over here in that fear, and Jesus is standing over here saying, I have grace. I'm offering him. You don't need to be perfect. So come, just come to me as you are and I will give you grace. You, you belong to me. If you've chosen to follow me, you belong to me. Like I am the good shepherd. I will care for you. You have a father in heaven that looks down and loves you. And this is what people were drawn to by Jesus, that, that Jesus hung out with not only he has dinner here with a religious elite, Jesus was known to hang out with the worst of the worst. In fact, in Mark chapter two, Jesus has dinner with some of the worst people and the Pharisees get all ticked off and they're like, what is, does this guy know who he's eating with? Like, what is he? what is he doing? And Jesus responds in Mark chapter two, verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Oh, I love that statement. Not those who think they are righteous, but are missing the point, are putting off this persona. They're like the Pharisees, the whitewashed tomb. Everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's just a dead person. Jesus says, I didn't come for those people. I came for those who know they are sinners. I came for those prostitutes that fall at my feet and say Jesus I am I don't even know what to do. I'm so broken. I'm so I'm so imperfect. All I know what to do right now is just cry and pour perfume on your feet. That's all I know what to do. Jesus says, that's who I came for. That's who I came for. And so even in your own life, as you look at your neighbors, as you look at your friends, as you look at those people in your life and you say, man, they are far from perfect. I want you to remember the next time you see that person, the next time God's been doing something in my heart where I've even been looking at these people on the streets, like homeless people, these people that are struggling and are in really hard places. I've been looking at them and I'm just thinking to myself, that's who Jesus came for. And so if if that's who Jesus came for, then the next time you're, you're challenged or you have this, this feeling of superiority where you're like, well, I'm perfect. Look at this person over here. I want you to remember, maybe, maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're missing it. And have compassion. way that Jesus does. I love the, uh, the author, Brene Brown. I don't know if you guys know her. She's amazing. She once said this, those who have a strong sense of love and belonging have the courage to be imperfect. I love that. And this is what Jesus offers us, a strong sense of love and belonging. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us. You don't need to be haunted by perfection. Instead, I'm offering you you grace and belonging and, and love exactly where you are this morning. Mistakes and all, I'm, I'm ready to accept you. But here's the thing, with that understanding, there is actually something perfect that we should pursue. We should pursue God's perfect love over our perfect performance. Pursue God's perfect love over our perfect performance. Listen to these amazing words that John writes in, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 to 18. Actually, we'll go to 19. It says this, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. I want you to hear this relationship that God has with us in these, these few verses. The relationship that God has with us and the love that God has for us. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect because we spend more time around perfect love. Our love becomes more and more perfect, more and more like Jesus. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Oof, that's, I I could preach a whole sermon on that right now. Such love has no fear, verse 18, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. That's the love, the perfect love that we need to pursue. Pursue that love over perfect performance every single day. Pursue Jesus. Your pursuit of perfect performance, it's not going to cast out the fear of not being enough. It's not going to cast out the fear of not being accepted if people see who you really are. Perfect performance isn't going to do that. Only perfect love can do that. So pursue that love. Pursue Jesus so that when your performance isn't perfect which you're going to have those moments you can remember that God's love is God doesn't want you to live in fear of not being enough that if you aren't a perfect in a perfect friendship with somebody or or if you aren't in 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 perfect in your job or if you're not perfect with your spouse or with your kids or whatever it may be in your life that you're somehow less than, that you're somehow not good enough. God's unconditional love is actually experienced when we're willing to admit that we're in need of grace. All of those moments where you are far from perfect, when I am far from perfect and we admit, we say, God, listen, I am far from perfect. I need your help. It's in those moments that God pours out his unconditional love and says, I still love you. I'll always love you. I'm still there for you. I'm still going to give you grace even in those moments. Even when we're far from perfect, he's still going to love us. Perfectionism is like a plague that just haunts our emotions. It haunts our mental health. It haunts our spiritual health. And and maybe even, I know I touched on this a little bit in the beginning, maybe it haunts your physical health. Haunts your physical health. This morning, I want you to recognize that there's only one perfect, there's only one person that's been perfect in all of history. And his name is Jesus. And it's through putting our faith in him and allowing him to be Lord of our life and submitting to him and saying, Jesus, I'm I'm gonna follow you wherever you lead. I I just want you to be Lord of my life. I'm done trying to do it by myself. It's in that moment that we allow grace into our lives and through following him, we're now brought into this new life. Romans chapter three, verse 22 says this, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I love this last part. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are. No matter where you are. No matter what you are. No matter what you have in your history. No matter where you were. This is true for everyone who believes. Now I'll close with this. There's an author, um, James Clear. He wrote the book called Atomic Habits. New York Times bestseller, great, really great book. He said this, no matter how consistent you are with your habits, it's inevitable that life will interrupt you at some point. Perfection is not possible. It's not possible. This morning, let your drive and your need to be perfect in all areas of your life. Let that Go. And instead, step into the freedom that Jesus is offering you through grace and his perfection. And and as you're faced with moments, I'm going to challenge you with with just a few things. As you're faced with moments where maybe perfectionism creeps into your life a little bit. There's a work project. There's stuff at home. Whatever it may be, perfectionism haunts you a little bit. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do these four things. I want you to remember that God offers grace in mistakes. The Bible says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the book of Romans, we hear that. And so when you make a mistake, what the enemy, what what, what God's enemy, Satan, what the devil will try to do is he will condemn you and say, man, you're just not good enough. If only you were perfect. That's condemnation. And the Bible tells us, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. What we find instead is we need to repent. God, I messed up. And in that moment, we will receive grace. God offers grace, He does not condemn. So that's the first thing. Second thing is some of us that struggle with perfectionism. When criticism enters our life, we immediately push it out. We say, no, 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 I've got it all together. There's nothing for you to criticize. Let let me tell you, there are people, I hope, I hope you have these people in your life that are ready and willing to offer you healthy, biblical, loving criticism. You need to accept it so that you can grow. Accept it so that you can grow. The third thing is healthy relationships, whether that's, you know, friendships, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, married relationships with your kids, workplace relationships, whatever it is. Healthy relationships don't look for perfection from the other person. Instead, what they ask for is honesty and grace. Honesty and grace, not perfection. Honesty that you'll be real in your mistakes. And then grace when that person is real in their mistakes. Not perfection, honesty and grace. And the last thing is this. When those moments, when those thoughts of perfectionism creep into your mind, what I want you to do, and and this might be hard for you. This This is going to be a discipline. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you as those thoughts come into your mind to write them down. Remember, what's our our key verse for the month? To capture every thought and teach it to obey Christ. I'm going to challenge you to write that thought down on a piece of paper, on a note on your phone. And then what I want you to do is I want you to open up God's word and I want you to compare. Is this what I see in God's word? Is that thought, is that feeling? Does it line up with what God says about me? And if it doesn't, in that moment, teach that thought to obey Christ. Now, I know some of you, it's like, wow, I don't even know how. I've never read my Bible. I don't even know how to open it. Okay, there's this great thing called Google. Just Google it. Guys, we have more information at our fingertips than ever before in our history. There really aren't any excuses anymore. Take some time. Capture those thoughts. Here's what I want to do to just close. One last time, I want you to look at the person on your right and the person on your left. I want you to tell them, I'm not perfect, and that's okay. Here's... It's amazing. Here's here's what's amazing. In the first service and the second service, there are two things that happen. Two things. It, it's this is. I think this is just confirmation for me that this this really is the, the Holy Spirit working in these these moments. In the first service and the second service, both groups, when you guys looked at each other. And you shared, I'm not perfect and that's okay. You know what I heard in this room? You know what I saw? I saw joy. I saw joy and I saw grace. And I saw, I saw freedom. Because you were willing to look at somebody and say, listen, I'm not perfect. And that's Okay. God isn't looking for you to be perfect. In, in fact, he, he knew that you and I couldn't be, and that's why he sent Jesus. And so this morning, step out of the bondage of perfectionism and then choose instead to walk in the freedom that comes with God's love and God's grace. Let's pray. God, this one, um, this one hits home f- for me. As I'm sure right now you're working on a lot of different hearts in this room. And I just I, I, again, I just want to read Jesus' words to the woman in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus looked down at her and he said, "Your sins are forgiven." And this morning I know there are people in this room that are holding on to these things and burying them below the surface cuz they don't want they don't want to acknowledge the imperfection in their life. God right now I pray that you would overwhelm them with this with the spirit of love with the spirit of grace God, that they would choose to follow Jesus and in that moment, they would receive the freedom that he offers that we do not have to be perfect. God, because you are, as John says, perfect love casts out fear. And this morning, I pray that the people in this room would experience that perfect love and it would cast out the fear that they aren't good enough, that they, that they have to be a certain way, they have to look a certain way, God, because that's not true. God, just as the woman that comes and kneels at Jesus' feet, God, I pray that that would be my posture. A sinner in need of grace. Somebody that's selfish and disobeys God. And I thank you that that grace and that love is unconditional. It doesn't run out. God, I thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. Restore our relationship with you.